This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, Gilman, Joel Robertson, and ooh, Blake from Midweek Matinee. Thank you all. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick. Delta Lambda Zeta, this is Jackson, the son speaking. <laughs> we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss, and we are continuing our Halloween season franchise review of Scream with Scream 2 from 1997. I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. What are you talking about? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to make a successful sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Ah! Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. Ah! How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Well, let's look at the suspects. There's the obvious boyfriend, Derek. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Forget the boyfriend. It's tired. Who else do we got? There's Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay. Let's move on. Scream 2. Rated R. All right, Jackson. Well, the IMDb synopsis for Scream 2 reads, Two years after the first series of murders, as Sydney acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings. Yeah, yeah. pretty good. I think that's, that's not pretty too good. bad. That, without, without any spoilers, that's probably the best summary you can give. Yeah, that's not too bad. So let me ask you, when did you first see Scream 2? Today. Today was my first time ever seeing Scream 2 all the way through. Uh, of course, I'd wow. seen parts of it before. I kind of knew where the story was going uh, because I know the the kind of the plot of the whole series. I know where it goes. So I kind of knew where this was going. I knew who would uh, be innocent and who would be guilty pretty much. But I didn't remember exactly how it played out. So watching it for the first time all the way through, it was a very interesting experience. Uh, so, but I, I'm excited to say that I can pinpoint the first time I watched it, and that was today. Wow. I saw it on opening day. And when I say opening day, December 12th, 1997, I was 25 years old. I saw it at the very first matinee that it ran at one o'clock. I was in line there because I could not wait. And folks, you can go back and listen to our Scream episode if you haven't. Uh, the original Scream, which we did with Ricky Irvin, who I saw her today, and, and she had such a blast. That was such a great podcast. Um, but I, I could not wait to see this. I love Scream so much. Could not wait to see Scream 2. So let's talk about the plot and the screenplay. What did you think, buddy? Pretty good. Uh, I think this is as good as you can get while continuing such a classic movie. Uh, they do poke fun at themselves a lot. This one is a lot more meta. I feel like it has a lot more jokes yeah. about what it is. Um, not only do we get Randy setting up the rules of the movie, we also get a lot more meta things like talking about the movie business in general, talking about how sequels suck. That's a huge part of this movie. Mm -hmm. I really love the discussion that Randy has uh, with Mickey in that class 
and they're talking about which are better if sequels can be good. And um, I, I think I'm with Randy on that one. He says that he li- that Ridley Scott is a legend and that the first Alien is better than Aliens. And honestly, I agree with him. And I think the first Terminator is also better than Terminator. So I think I'm with you on James Cameron being a tool. Uh, he made some good <laughs> movies, but but his best movies are sequels to other people's ideas. So may- maybe we shouldn't praise him that much. Well, let me be let me be clear. I did not say James Cameron was a tool. I said he was the Antichrist. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, because that's so much better. Because the Antichrist, what does he do? He lures you in. He's charming. Mm-hmm. And then he gives you Titanic. Yep, and, and so, Avatar. And, oh, gosh, and Avatar. So, yeah. Um, yeah, let's, let's have that conversation. Because I remember after this movie came out, and I had returned to college. I had left college after my sophomore year to go work on Capitol Hill and a congressional campaign in the Capitol Hill for a couple of years. Then I went back. And so I had friends who were movie fans and we were talking about, you know, Scream 2. And we had the debate about are sequels inherently inferior? I, now, I, I, I think it's hard to argue that overall they are. However, I'm not so sure that Randy's right about Godfather 2. I think Godfather 2 may be slightly better than Godfather 1. So I do think there are exceptions to that rule. Your thoughts? I've never seen Godfather 2, so I don't know. I've only seen the first one. Uh, The reason I didn't see Godfather 2 is because I hear Godfather 3 was a disappointment. And I was like, well, if I watch Godfather 2, i got to watch Godfather 3 right after. Actually, you don't. Because Godfather, you can watch... Francis Ford Coppola never meant to make Godfather 3. That was a money grab, and he was desperate. And so he meant 1 and 2 to stand alone. Okay. Well, I haven't seen it, so I can't I can't talk about the quality of that. There are a few sequels that are better than the original. I think Evil Dead 2 is superior to the original. I think Friday the 13th Part 2 is superior to the original. Yes! That's exactly I, where I was going. You read my yep. mind. So there are, especially in the horror genre, there are sequels that are better than the original. I know a lot of people, I don't agree, but I know a lot of people who, if they like Scream, they prefer Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 to the first one because they like the kind of fun horror movie type than the than the gritty and real. I don't agree I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 better, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a worthy sequel. It's very different, and I like it when sequels are like that, when they're different and they address different topics. Like Evil Dead 2 couldn't be more different than the original. I mean, Ash does a complete 180 in his character. Well, um, you're right. So, but the thing is, Scream 2 is one of those rare sequels that's pretty close to the original in tone and with the characters, mm-hmm. but I think it's still really good. I, I agree, and of course, we could also bring up Devil's Rejects. Many people argue is better than right. House of a Thousand Corpses. I, so. I agree. I think I think Devil's Rejects is better. I love House of a Thousand Corpses, but once you get rid of that crazy music video editing, I think the characters can shine a lot better. Yeah, and by the way, for folks who are interested, like uh, Dr. Shock, Eli Roth's History of Horror, second season is up on AMC, but so is the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just listened today to Rob Zombie's um, unedited hour and a half interview. And he says that. He says he can't even watch House of Thousand Corpses. He says he sees yeah. so many mistakes. He was a first-time director. He used a music video crew. He said that was a mistake. You know, and he said he learned from his mistakes on House of a Thousand Corpses how to make Devil's Rejects. And I think that's mm-hmm. why it's a better a better movie. 
Mm-hmm. Which is his best movie. I think Devil's Rejects is his best movie, and it's a I sequel. Agree. So there you go. There's another sequel that's better than the original. Um, but again, I, I think th- uh, Three from Hell was a was a step down from two. So you run the risk if you continue the sequels sure. of eventually going downhill. But yeah, I, I don't know. I liked the discussion that Scream 2 opened up about sequels. I think at certain points it was a little like when Randy was like, there's got to be more blood, more killings, and that scene is immediately followed by more blood, more killings. That's fun, but the discussion at the beginning that Randy was having with Mickey was a little heavy-handed, I feel like, but still. Really? I, yeah, I, I listen, here's the thing. I love the script of the first Scream because it was so subtle in its parody. Whenever it was talking about horror movies, it was like very... I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It was more subtle and more, more clever. It was like Parks and Rec versus something like South Park. You know what I mean? I feel like South Park is more like Scream 2, whereas Parks and Rec is more like uh, Scream 1. Both are funny. Both are, are clever in their own, their own certain ways, but I feel like one is more subtle. The pro- and that's the reason why I like Scream so much more than stuff like Scary Movie, whereas Scary Movie is just like, this is stupid. Laugh at it. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really care for scary movies. They have their moments, but I, just, I don't really care the for them. The first one, I will say, the first one is entertaining. The rest of them are unwatchable for me. Yeah, I just don't, I don't care for them. But I, I, I will give Kevin Williamson a little bit of slack here. Uh, because if you know anything about the backstory, all right, he wrote Scream. He had a five-page outline for Scream 2 mm. at the end of Scream. And the one scene he had in it, which we'll talk about in a second, is the opening scene with Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith at the theater. And he writes Scream 2. He writes it. They literally greenlight it like two to three weeks after Scream's been in the theaters. Yeah. Scream is still in the theaters. Like, And the Weinsteins call Williams and say, we're going with Scream 2. Start writing the screenplay. So he does. At the same time, he had gotten a contract to do um, Dawson's Creek. Mm -hmm. So he writes a screenplay. He flies up to North Carolina to do Dawson's Creek. And then an extra who picked up one of the scripts on the set leaks it on the internet. I know. And while he's working on the first season of Dawson Creek, he has to completely rewrite the screenplay. Yep. I heard that. That's crazy. I, I didn't even know that that many people were on the internet in 97 or 96. I guess it would have been still at the time, maybe. But, um, or not, it would have been 97, right? Scream came out in yeah, late it was December. Early, yeah, they came out in December 96. They greenlit it in January of 97. So, and he wrote it in like 30 days or something like that. So, but they were, they started production in like April of 97. Yeah, I know. And it's so, crazy. It came out less than a year after the first one. It's like Son of Kong. They were pulling a Son, son of Kong on this one. Right. So like, what was it? Uh, it came out on the 12th of, 90, of December 1997, whereas the first one came out in like the 22nd of 96. So that less yep. than a year later, they had already pumped out a sequel. And it was good. So yeah, I'll definitely say credit to the screenwriter for rewriting a script twice and then having his movie made in less than a year. Um, that was very impressive and yeah that with that in mind this is a very impressive movie technically and um and with the script and everything so that that has improved my uh my viewing of it a little bit i i I do think that it should be appreciated for that um that said that said the first one 
also was a little bit of a miracle that it got made with all the different directors that were attempted with it and the fact that Kevin Williamson's script was kind of like an accidental hit. I feel like the whole Scream franchise is kind of like an, a, a, it's like lightning in a bottle. So I don't yep. know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Scream 2, it's very impressive, but it just doesn't have the magic of the first one for me. Mm. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. But I, like I said, I cut it some slack because they start shooting in April. By May, the entire script is online. They had 30 pages to work with. Kevin Williamson said that he was working like 12 hours a day on Dawson's Creek. And then he would come back to his hotel and a representative of the Weinsteins would be like, okay, where are you on the Scream 2 script? And he'd have to go back into his hotel at like nine o'clock at night and start completely rewriting Scream 2, why they were filming. Well, that's that's awful. It is awful. And in fact, Wes Craven says in the commentary that there are parts where instead of Kevin having the time to like go on about setting the scene or setting the mood, he just would write, Wes Craven will make this scary and moved on. <laughs> And he did. <laughs> and he he did. trusted the director. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about this opening scene. There's a reason I want to talk about the opening scene with Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith going to see the Stab movie. Mm-hmm. Here's why I love it so much. And this is, I had no idea this was going to happen. I saw this movie in Ashland, Kentucky at a movie theater you and I have been to. Yeah. Uh, the Cinemark in Ashland, Kentucky. One o'clock on a Friday. December 12th, I go in and the opening scene is being shot at the Rialto Theater, which was a half a mile away from me when I first moved to L.A. And I saw many, many movies there. Wow. That that made me so happy that it was set at the Rialto because, I mean, I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show there at a midnight screening. I saw, you know, you name it. I saw Citizen Kane there on the big screen for the first time, you know, on and on and on. The Rialto is right up the street. I would go there all the time. It's one of the old time theaters. It's no longer with us, unfortunately. But I I love that theater so much. I love that opening scene. I think it's great. Me too. And it must have been pretty surreal for you to be seeing uh, Scream 2 on opening day and the First scene of Scream 2 is opening day of Stab, and somebody actually gets stabbed there. So you must have been looking over your shoulder. Oh, well, and that, and it's a theater I'd been to many times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I knew that theater. So I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And so, oh, man, it just, I know that some people, most people to mean nothing to, but just the fact that it's such a strong opening scene, and it's at a theater that I've been to probably 30 times. Mm-hmm. That just, I was automatically hooked. I bet. Yeah, I, I I told you this earlier, but I think Stab is a much better parody of Scream than Scary Movie, which I, I think it just goes to show that Wes Craven can make fun of his own work better than anybody else. I mean, he made fun of, of uh, New Nightmare and Scream 1, and now he's yeah. making fun of his own movie that was making fun of New Nightmare in this movie. I, I think he just kills it every time. I love that guy so much. I, well, I do too, but even though he was on set, he didn't direct that. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez, right? Robert Rodriguez directed It looks like a Robert Rodriguez movie. It definitely does. It has that feel to it, and I love that. that, that that's really funny. Um, it, you know what would have been even funnier? John Carpenter should have directed Stab. I thought that, that would have been the perfect movie. 
Oh, um, yeah. But I I do love Robert Rodriguez, and you can definitely tell. I love the cast that they got to play uh, the characters from Scream 1 and Stab. Uh, my favorite oh. casting is Tori Spelling as uh, as um, Sydney's Sydney. nightmare come true. Yep, right? <laughs> she 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 foretold of it in the first movie, and also Luke Wilson as Billy. What a weird casting choice! But oh, man, I thought he that pulls was hilarious. He sure the does. Hair, the hair is It's hilarious. perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hair is perfect, and he does the voice too. He's all brooding and and goth. I love that. Um, I, I kind of want to see, is there a full version of Stab? I would pay to see that for sure. There, it unfortunately is not. So Robert Rodriguez agreed to do it because he famously passed on screen. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, he so regretted it that when Wes Craven approached him about doing the movie within the movie, he goes, yeah, for karma reasons, I need to do this because I was an idiot to pass on it the first time. And yeah. so that's why he did it. Um, yeah, you get Heather Graham playing Drew Barrymore's mm-hmm. character. Yeah, and it was funny because, you know, <clears throat> first of all, Tori Spelling, Wes, I watched um, Screen 2 with the audio commentary today with Wes Craven. And he said that Tori Spelling was great because she was willing to poke fun of herself. She didn't care. She mm-hmm. thought that was fine. Um, but she said that, he he said that, you know, at that time, Luke Wilson and Heather Graham were not stars. Right. And so he made the joke. He goes, ah, after this, I wish their careers would have gone somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, they blew up. But um, not only did the script leak. So when they shot at the Rialto for um, the opening of Scream 2 for Stab and they were showing it and all that kind of stuff, he said those were authentic reactions uh, they had contests for people to appear in it through MTV. They had, you know, they had all these people there. They told them to go crazy and they did. Wes Craven said it was absolute chaos. Um, he said all the men in the theater moaned when they cut away that there was no nudity. Yeah. <laughs> Showing Heather Graham naked that it was just a cutaway and that kind of stuff. And, and, and so, but then here's how they learned the hard way. Somebody had brought, a video camera in and that scene leaked on the internet. Oh, come night. on. Yep. What is wrong with people? Can't we just experience movies when they're finished? Uh, it leaked on the internet that night and they were at that point, but this is, it's interesting because at that point, if you think about it, I mean, the internet at that point was really still um, dial up for mm-hmm. most people. And it was fairly new and so the studios were still trying to figure out how to deal with it. And this introduced what would happen in Star Wars and other movies after Kevin Williamson's script leaked on the Internet. And after that first scene hit the Internet, one of the things that the Weinstein started doing and they were copied by other production companies, they produced the script on paper that could not be copied. Mm hmm. And they even had, if you watch Scream, or Still Screaming, which is the Ryan Turek-produced documentary about the Scream franchise, um, the girl who plays Hallie, um, I can't remember an actress's name, Nev Campbell's roommate in Scream 2. Mm-hmm. When she was trying out for it, they said, okay, we're bringing you the script. Uh, you have one hour to read it, and then we're taking it back. And she's like, I can't read a whole script in an hour. And they're like, that's all you get. And that's, 
you know, they had started to ramp up security at that point and, and, you know, put it on unproducible paper and all that kind of stuff. That all comes from the debacle of the pre-production of Scream 2. Awesome. It should totally change the standards. I, what, what were you telling me the other day about Wes Craven delivering scripts personally? Was that, was that from Scream 1? Uh, I can't remember when he did. I think that goes back to his early days of doing indie filmmaking. Oh, okay. I thought you were telling me that was Scream, and I was going to say he's used to that, to, to delivering scripts personally for increased security. Um, but I remember, yeah, when, when uh, Star Wars Episode Seven was in production, uh, they had that whole loose lips sync starships uh, mantra, mm-hmm. and they printed it on red paper that couldn't be copied, and I think it couldn't be photographed either. There was like a glare on it at any right. angle you took a picture right. of it. The ingenuity is crazy, but I'm just thinking in my head, why do we need this? Why can't people... I don't know about you, but I really don't want to watch a movie before it's done or read the script before it's no. done. Because what's the point? It's not going to be good. It, reading a script is never going to give you the same image that watching the movie is. So what's the point of trying to experience it early? I, I'm to the point where I don't want to watch trailers anymore. Mm-hmm. Because they yeah, because they give the whole much. movie. Yeah, I know it's it's like a three minute movie. You're watching the movie whenever you watch a trailer. Especially, I I, I was in the theaters the other day uh, watching. I, I think it was either when I watched Scream in theaters uh, for the first episode of the series, or when I watched Nightmare Before Christmas. I watched Nightmare Before Christmas in theaters yesterday, but um, there was a trailer for this new Liam Neeson movie, and it was the entire movie. You saw the ending. You saw who died in it. And I was like, why oh. are you doing this? Nobody's going to want to see the movie now. I don't understand it. And Ryan Turek and I had a famous back and forth on Twitter where we were arguing with each other. And he was like, well, but there's a long tradition of this. And I'm like, that doesn't mean it doesn't suck, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it sucked back when they ruined the twist of T2 back in the 90s. It just sucks. Like it, trailers have always given away too much. All I need. You know what's the best the best way to do it? The Innocence. We talked about that on Phantom Galaxy. Yep. The trailer for The Innocence is literally just, do they come back? The Innocence, rated R. You know, that, that's the whole trailer. Oh, well, famously, another Wes Craven movie, Last House on the Left. Keep mm-hmm. telling yourself, it's only a movie. Exactly. It's that's all you need. It needs to get you excited for the movie without ruining the experience of the movie. I think people need to learn that. Well, that and we need to go back to trusting word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happened with Scream. The original Scream didn't do too well its opening weekend. But then so many people loved it. The next weekend it went up. The next weekend it went up. You make a good enough movie, that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, look at It Follows. The movie that came out in, like, 2014, I think. That was a sleeper hit, I feel like. That one slowly grew and grew on people. And now people consider it one of the best movies of the 2010s. So, yeah, that should have been the case. That should be, always be the case with horror movies. I don't think we've talked about Scream 2 in like 10 minutes at this point. but <laughs> I know. Well, we're about to get to it because here's something I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about Randy's death? I was disappointed in the movie at that point. I love Randy. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand why it had to happen. The drama had to ramp up. You had to really feel like there were stakes. I I love Randy, though. That's the thing. And I even liked him more in this movie than I did in the first movie. Because I feel like in the first movie, you had Stu and you had Randy. So you had two comedic characters. 
This uh, new Scream 2, it's kind of more depressing, so we needed Randy there, I feel like. He he was the one uh, producing levity. When you kill him off, I don't know. It just it just didn't fit right with me. I know that I know the reason they did it, and I do appreciate it. It did up the suspense for me definitely. I did feel like anybody could die at any moment. I wasn't sure at the end. Whenever um, Mickey had the, or I guess it was. Do we want to spoil the movie right now about? Oh, we're already. We've already warned people. So okay. come when, on. When when uh, Mrs. Loomis has the knife to Sydney throat at the end, I knew she was in the sequels, but I was thinking. She got to cut her throat. I, I, I seriously didn't know who was going to die at that point because they killed off Randy. So I understand why yep. they did it. But that's why Randy. Kevin and Wes did it. I know. It's Randy. Oh, Come on. Les Craven man. said on the audio commentary that he has received more hate mail for that. I mean, mm-hmm. he has taken so much crap for killing Randy off, but he thought it was the best way, as you've alluded to, to show no one's safe. Mm-hmm. And in the original script, of Scream, of Scream 2. Both, well, there were, I guess there were a couple of different variations. He said that there, well, in the first script it was this, and the second script it was this, but um, in one of the early scripts, um, both Sydney and Dewey die. And that would have been depressing. I mean, and that's how, yeah, for Scream 1, Dewey was going to die. That's, yep. That would have been the same thing, where it's like anybody can die at any moment. Tatum's killed off, and then Dewey is stabbed in the back, and you're thinking, okay, so Ghostface can kill anybody at this point. Um, of course, it's revealed that Dewey survived, and honestly, Tatum wasn't that much of a, of a huge character. She didn't have much of an arc, did she? But um, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like it was a... I understand why they did it, and I think in the long run it's a good choice, but I would have loved to see him in the in the next couple of movies. Well, you haven't seen Scream 3 yet, have you? No, I haven't. Okay. Well. Oh, no. Just wait. Um, anyway, um, let's go to, while we're still talking about the plot, before we move on mm-hmm. to talk about the cast, um, the reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. Did you, what did you think of the reveal? Um, and you can compare it to Scream 1 if you want. What, what did you think? Uh, depending on which killer you're talking about, good. I would say it's a good reveal. Uh, let's talk about Mickey. We have two killers again, so. Yeah, yep. and I didn't, I didn't think they were going to do that, honestly. I was like, okay, well, I think it might be one. But I, I wasn't sure. Or maybe three. I didn't even know. Once Cotton walked in, I was like, what's going to happen here? Uh, and in one but, of the original scripts, there was three. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. But okay, so let's talk about Mickey first. Mickey, right. I think he's a good villain once he's unmasked. I think he's really creepy and hysterical. Uh, I'm not sure he was set up as well as Stu and Billy were. I know there's that scene at the beginning where he's talking about movies and how they influence us. And then later we find out that his defense was going to be that movies inspired him to do the killings. But... Mm. He didn't seem that sinister throughout the entire thing. Like in the scene where he's comforting Sydney, that seemed kind of genuine to me. I don't know that he seemed as creepy as Billy was or as off, like unhinged as Stu was. That said, Mrs. Loomis, she's straight up crazy. I liked that twist. She mm. reminds me a lot of Billy. Once it's revealed who she is and she's got the crazy eyes, I was expecting her to say, we all go a little mad sometimes because she is the spitting image of Billy when she's crazy. Um, I like that twist. Reminds me a lot of of Mrs. Voorhees from Friday the Thirteenth, uh, right. which is probably the first meta part of uh, of Scream. Whenever he's talking about Mrs. Voorhees and and um, the first Friday the Thirteenth, is referenced back in this one. They they tied it together to that. But 
I, I, I like her. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it didn't work for me up to that point. Until we see her totally crazy and we see Mickey totally crazy, I wasn't sure who it was. I don't think there was enough foreshadowing. But once we finally get them, I think they're good in their villain roles, if that makes any sense. No, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I'll hold off talking about Mickey till we get to the cast. Um, I will say this. This may have played into it. No one except for Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson and the producers knew who the killer was till the day of shooting. Okay. They withheld the last 10 pages of the script from the entire cast and crew until the day they began shooting it. Hmm. So, so, uh, Timothy Oliphant, who plays Mickey, he didn't know he was the killer. That's the problem. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Because he seems way too normal in the other scenes. Whereas I feel like Billy had a lot more foreshadowing as to being the killer. And again, Stu and Billy were so tight that you kind of figured, I know Ricky said this in the last episode, you kind of figured that if Billy's the killer, Stu's got to be connected somehow. Yeah, but I still kind of like the reveal because it was in the early days of the internet. A lot of people were talking about you know, the dark side of the internet and all that other kind of stuff. So you got Mrs. Loomis searching for a serial killer online. Yeah. What does she say? The, she, I think she gave the name of the website. There's just a serial killer, like, blog meetup spot. The cops haven't uh, accepted uh, somehow. Yeah, and so, and, well, and quite frankly, they weren't paying attention to it. It was so new. They weren't paying a lot of attention to it. Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. That seemed a little silly to me that there's just a serial killer like meetup like blog website. I don't, I don't, I don't know that, that that could fly under the radar that well. All right. All right. Well, I bought it. I lived through it. Yeah, that's the I thing. I, I wasn't alive in 1997, so maybe, maybe I just don't know how the internet was. It uh, was very slow, very clunky. There wasn't a Google that you could a Google search engine you could trust. It was it was right. kind of all over the place. So, but by the by, like I was saying, but by the time that I was uh, exposed to the internet, it was pretty much all monitored by the government. So you weren't going to get away with the serial killer website, right? And you had your trusted websites, which you know you have Amazon, you have Google, you have Twitter, you have blah 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 blah. But you had Facebook. <laughs> yeah, w- but we didn't have it then. In yeah. 97, there was no Facebook, no Twitter, no Google, you know. When did MySpace become a thing? Early 2000s. Okay. So that that's even, at that time, there was this thing called Friendster, I think. Oh, and, and that had actually been a few years after that. But And what about uh, Napster? What Was Napster a thing around then? Was Lars stomping around? Uh, that was a year or two later, I believe. Okay. Um, in, so... In the original script, who do you think were the killers? Cotton and... Mm, uh, I don't know. Maybe Cotton and Mickey. I can't think of a second killer that would... Oh, you said there were three. So maybe Cotton, Miss Loomis, and Mickey. It was Cotton. Mm-hmm. Derek, the boyfriend. I can see that, yeah. And Hallie, the roommate. What? Really? Yes. Hmm. Hallie and Derek were lovers. I see. Okay, and they wanted to get rid of Sydney. And well, that and they wanted to become famous from it. Hmm. And then Cotton 
is clueless until the end, but he decides to join them out of revenge. And and yeah, so. Okay, I see. Yeah, I thought that's where it was going to go. When I was watching it and he had that gun pointed at Sydney, I thought for sure he was going to go. But then, you know, she says, consider it done about the the interview with what was it, Barbara Walters. Diane uh, Sawyer. Oh, Diane Sawyer. <laughs> I was way off on that one. But um, I could see that. I think Cotton should have been the killer, maybe, or at least been involved in some way. Because I feel like from the beginning, you see that opening scene where Sydney is with her roommate. She's watching the news and Cotton's on it. He's on that like, talk show or whatever. And she looks really suspicious of him, even though Billy had admitted to her in the last movie that he was the one that killed uh, Maurice, her mom. So I was wondering why she was suspicious of him. And then that just didn't go anywhere. He was he was totally guilt free by the end. So I, I think it would have been better if Cotton was involved in some way, maybe just at the end. It was incidental. But yeah, I can definitely see that. And Derek, I, I just got to say, I hated Derek. I think he was boring. And, uh, and <laughs> we'll I get to him in a minute. We'll talk. I, to I him. think I definitely think he should have been a killer because that would have made his character way more interesting. All right, we'll talk about the cast here in just a second. But before we get there, mm-hmm. favorite scene. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, hmm. I don't know. This one's tr- tricky. I I got to say the cop car scene. Uh, where they're in oh, the cop that's car. That's classic, crash. yeah. It's to stab the cops in the back of the head, and they've got to crawl past Ghostface to get out of the car. The tension was so high in that. It was almost Hitchcockian. I, I really did feel the tension in that scene, especially since we had seen Randy die in the, in the scenes earlier. So who's, who's how he could die? Sydney could be stabbed? Who knows at this point? I kind of was expecting her to unmask Ghostface in that scene. I was expecting there to be one reveal and then there to be one later. But I'm kind of glad they didn't. I'm glad they saved that. But still, that is my favorite scene. I think the tension was really high. It's kind of cramped and claustrophobic in that car. And I was definitely afraid that Ghostface would wake up at any second. So that's my favorite. Though there were a great many uh, really good scenes. The opening scene, I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about it. Yeah. Because you've talked about it so uh, flatteringly. Well, I have to go with you. As much as I love the opening scene for nostalgia reasons, I have to go. I have to go with you. That car scene is. There are a handful of scenes that, if I don't believe in aliens, but let's say aliens showed up and said, "Okay, what are horror movies?" Mm-hmm. I would show them a couple of scenes. One of them is the pool scene from Strangers Pray at Night. We've That's been at cool. that scene. Yep, that scene is amazing. Um, Ryan Turek has said the same thing that if mm-hmm. people asked him what is horror, he would play the pool scene from strangers pray at night. Mm-hmm. Except, um, but you can't, you can't bring them to that setting. Cause we've been there and it looks as cheery as can be. It, it's bizarre how they hid that and mass that, isn't it? That it was next to a river and you don't even see that. Yeah. Next to a river. And it's a lot smaller than it looks in the movie. I don't know. They make it seem really big and like you're out yeah. in the open, but uh, yeah, definitely. And it's very cheery during the day. And the store is right there next to the pool. Yep. Um, but the other scene I would show them would, would be the car scene. Yeah. Because it, it is it is a master class. Yeah. And, and don't forget the shower scene from Psycho. I would say. Well, oh, of course. But yeah, 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 of course. But um, yeah, that's that has to be my favorite scene. So let's talk about the cast. We have Nev Campbell back. We have David Arquette back. We have Courtney Cox back, who, by the way, when I, I heard this during the commentary today, had strep throat during the entire filming. Ugh. 
Yeah, that sucks. She did a good job. I didn't even notice. She, yeah, she's a soldier, right? You have to give her credit. For sure. Yeah, I, li- I really like Gail in this movie. I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get to her, but yeah, good, good job. Um, we get Jamie Kennedy back, we get uh, Liv Schreiber back, um, and we get Randy Jackson back as the voice, who, again, continued to avoid everyone on set and called from a trailer. They are actually called. And it was funny, Wes Craven said that every single cast member was scared of Randy Jackson when he was talking on the phone, except for Sarah Michelle Gellar. Hmm. She would joke with him in between takes. <laughs> so I can see she, that happening. Yeah. She wasn't scared of me, but everybody else was. So what do you think of the cast returning? What do you think of the characters? I really like the weeds. I think Nev Campbell does a good job in this. Uh, she definitely yeah. feels the same as she does in the first movie. I think the character that goes under the most change is probably Dewey. He's a lot more mature in this movie. Um, I think David Arquette did a really good job with that. Uh, he, he's, I, I still like his dynamic with Gail. They have great moments together. I like how they start. Well, off they had kinda... started dating during this, so that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I, I, their chemistry is good. They start off hostile again in this movie because of how pushy Gail was being. But then by the end, of course, they're, they're good pals again. And they, it gets a little heated even more than the first movie. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love the, the leads. I think that uh, Cotton, Leave Schreiber, great job in this movie. He's both. I he's, agree. He's both really like um, genuinely. He seems like a. He tricks you in the beginning because in that scene where he's he's with Gail and they're doing that interview, I was like, oh, he doesn't seem that bad. And then later in the library, I was like, oh, so he's scum. And then later on, I was like, oh, maybe he's not so bad again. So he goes through a whole up and down kind of arc thing. And I well, really I like what they did with to, him. When you, I think what you're going to see in Scream 3 mm-hmm. is that he's not necessarily a bad person. He's just an opportunist. Sure. He's just out for himself. So getting incarcerated, falsely incarcerated for a year was the best thing that ever happened to him. Um, if you would have asked him in Scream 3 when you see it, he would probably say yes. Okay. I'm looking forward to that because I didn't even know he was in the third movie. He is. But... Uh, yeah, I think he did a really good job. I loved seeing him because we only saw him really in that one shot in, in Scream 1, the, the shot on the TV of him being loaded into the cop car. Um, so well, it was it, funny because he, if you watch um, Still Screaming, the documentary, mm-hmm. which you can watch about half of on YouTube, and then for some reason the audio goes loopy, but I have it on my Blu-ray, but... He, he said that he was doing a movie for Dimension already called Phantoms, which is a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked him, they liked what they saw from the dailies there, so they asked him to come over for Scream and just do this one scene. He said, it was one day's work. I walked up steps, and I got paid several thousand dollars. He said, best job ever. Yeah, pretty you good know? gig, I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah, and, they uh, said, and he did a good in, job. Yeah, they were impressed with him, so they thought, well, just in case there's a sequel... We'll put him in this just in, to bring him back. Mm-hmm. And apparently he's completely method. And so he was like completely into the role, like talking about, oh, but what should I wear and this? Like, so the scene where he's in the library, you remember that scene where he talks to um, Nev Campbell's character, Sydney, in the library? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's got a sweatshirt on. Yeah. He picked that sweatshirt out. It's the local college where they were filming. 
it's their mascot. He's like, hmm, I think Cotton would want to fit in. And he put that sweatshirt on even though it was 106 degrees. Yeah, that is pretty method. That is that is, is. that is yeah. dedication. Yeah. And um, yeah, and when I saw him in that first movie, that look he gives the camera when he's loaded into that cop car, he looks really menacing. I can see that people wanted to see more of him. I'm honestly kind of disappointed he wasn't a killer because I can see him being very scary. Yeah. Um, and later on, I guess he kind of got that chance of Sabretooth in the X-Men movies. Um, I was wondering when he'd bring that up because I know how much you like those movies. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but that, that said... And he is I, good in that movie. He is, yeah. But I, I do think that they made the right choice kind of making him just... Uh, he just wants his 15 minutes of fame. I understand that. He's, you know, he, this is addressed in the movie. He's kind of like gay in the first movie he is the equivalent because even though gail starts off the same in scream 2 she becomes just totally distanced from that by the end and i think somebody needed to take her place so it's almost it's funny because cotton undergoes the same character arc as gail does in the first movie in the second movie because he starts out kind of wanting 15 minutes of fame and then by the end he saves sydney's life and then he gets his fame anyway so that's right. kind of he's just gail again he's gail 2.0 but i think he did a good job there's no part in it where i thought he was spectacular like like mind-blowing but he does a good job in the role and i couldn't see anybody else doing it yeah well he'll be back in part three so okay i'm looking forward to it we'll see him again um it was interesting listening to the director's commentary because apparently you know wes craven goes on and on and on about how much he loves jamie kennedy Mm mm-hmm um, that he does all these great imitations, that all this kind of stuff. But he said at the same time, for whatever reason, he had a real hard time memorizing his lines. <laughs> all right, so in the scene that is in the TV spot, which will be used during this podcast, remember the scene where Dewey and um, Randy are sitting with they're having their Baskin Robbins, um, and they're sitting there talking about the suspects? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually shot in UCLA, by the way. They went back and forth between UCLA and this woman's college in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he said that it took two takes to get David Arquette's responses. It took 50 takes to get Jamie Kennedy's lines. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he, he seems like a guy that would show up on the day and be like, all right, what am I doing again? And they're like, you didn't yeah. memorize your lines? And he's like, no, I thought I'd just kind of wing it. I'm a funny guy, right? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Which I think is kind of the problem that Bill Murray faced a lot of the time. They would get a bunch of different takes of him saying funny things, but it wasn't what the script was supposed to say. Right, and, and sometimes made no sense. And so, yeah, yeah. All right, so in this movie, though, we add Jerry O'Connell as Derek. Yeah. Ugh. You don't like it. Do you know that Jerry O'Connell was the quote-unquote fat kid from Stand By Me? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I did know that. I knew he had a, a major glow-up uh, at some point, I, and I do kind of recognize his face. So, yeah, I can see that, but he's awful in this movie. I just got to say it. He's so bland. <laughs> Derek is boring. I have no idea why Sydney chose. Listen, if Derek was a spice, he would be flour. If he were, if he was an ice cream flavor, <laughs> he would be that, like that weird frosted ice cream at the top of the container that doesn't taste like anything. He's so boring. <laughs> he's just your average dude. And that musical scene in the cafeteria. 
Oh, I loved and hated it. I, I, I loved to hate it. it. It was like The Room. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh. I was glad he died. Wow. I, I can't argue with you that he's, he's not charismatic in this role. Um, he's much more charismatic in Stand By Me. He's fantastic sure. in Stand oh, By Me. Oh, 100%. Um, okay. I guess we'll leave it there. Anyway, um, Dwayne Martin as mm-hmm. Joel the cameraman. Yeah. Funny. I, I think, I think funny. he's great. He's not in it very much, but I think when he's in it, he's funny. My favorite part is when uh, the whole Woodsboro gang is, is talking about the serial killings, and he says, what does he say? He walks away to go get something, and he's like, I'll be back when you're talking about some more. What, what's the line he does? I remember it being funny. Yeah. Yeah, well, he improvised a lot of those lines. I can definitely see that, 100%. Because yeah. he he's also like- a stand-up comic, so he, he, he improvised a lot of the lines. And so I think he's fantastic. Yeah, I think he's great. And he do, he very well, he fits that uh, role of the cameraman from the first one. I think they're both great. I, what was the guy's name, the actor's name from the first movie who played the cameraman, Gail's cameraman? Uh, oh, I can't remember. I can see his face, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard him interviewed. He was interviewed on the Shockwaves podcast, but I can't remember his name. He was really good in a different kind of way from the, from, uh, the cameraman from this movie. I think he was kind of the person to level Gail out. Whereas in this movie, Gale is more level than he's kind of going crazy. But um, I, I liked him. I, he, he was us as the audience. Like, get out of there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that line, it, it's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Gutted, slit, the guy ain't in the, ain't in the union no more. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, he's fantastic. But I get a feeling I'm a huge fan of this guy. Timothy Oliphant. Mm-hmm. I am a huge fan. He's, of course, he was in Justified, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. He was in Deadwood. I think he's an amazing actor. I don't get the feeling you liked him as Mickey that much. He was all right. He wasn't in it. He wasn't set up as well, I would say. He wasn't set up as well in it as, as Billy and Stu, as I touched on earlier. I think he's good when he goes crazy at the end, when he's unmasked. I think he's really good as a villain but he's only in it for three minutes at that point before he's shot. So um, I don't know. I, I, I think that they could have utilized him better. I agree. He is a really good actor. And if you'll remember, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he was really yeah. good in that as well. Um, but yeah, he's always good. But I don't think they utilized him as well as they could have. Uh, I, I like the twist. I like the twist that a film student is going to argue that movies were his his excuse to kill people. I think that's a good idea. And that, that has been done, by the way. I feel like there has been a case at some point where somebody has argued pleaded insanity because movies influence them, I'm sure. And that's a huge thing nowadays with, like, shootings, where the video games are the culprit, so they can't be held responsible. Um, but he wasn't utilized. Again, he wasn't set up very well, and that's because he didn't know he was a killer until the last scene. Yeah. So you can definitely see why they didn't go over so well. I feel like, if anything... Wes, Wes should have not given him the script, but led him on a little bit. When he's directing him, be like, maybe be a little suspicious in the scene. You know what I mean? Because I don't feel like he is that in most of the movie. All right. Fair enough. But I, I just love Timothy Oliphant. We talked about her briefly. Laura Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf as Debbie Salt, who turns out to be Mrs. Loomis. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I, yeah, I think she's great. Um, the one scene Wes Craven was worried about was after Dewey is stabbed by Ghostface. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Gail goes outside to use the phone, and Debbie Salt is there. Yeah, and he thought that's too much of a of a, a, a inkling that she's one of the killers. I didn't think about it that much because she's on the phone, and it's it, it was and she was trying to act like she was calling the newspaper. So I I wasn't that suspicious. I thought she was just making a scoop, um, because I I had totally forgotten that she was one of the killers. I wasn't sure. I don't know. I thought Cotton was one of the killers for sure, and I was suspicious mm-hmm. of Mickey at that point just because he had been missing from the movie for a while. But I, I, had, I didn't see it coming. I don't think that scene led you on too much. Uh, it, it wasn't as obvious as the scene in the video store with, with Billy and Stu where they basically flat out say we're killers. Um, but Oh, good uh, point. Yeah, good but, point. Yeah, in, but, in yeah. retrospect especially. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, th- I think she's good. I think the reveal was good because she... She was annoying before, but she wasn't crazy. You never thought of her as a crazy killer. And uh, she doesn't look anything like Billy until she goes crazy, and she's got those wild Billy eyes. Um, so, And they even address that in the movie. They're like, she looks nothing like Billy. And they're like, she's had some work done. So that's, that's right. how they excuse it. But, um, but yeah, I wasn't suspicious of her. I don't think that that gives their hand away too too early on. Uh, so I think Wes's fears were unfounded there. All right. And we get a cameo from the great David Warner as the theater professor who Craven wanted because he was a huge fan of him going back to the Omen. And here's what I, well, before I get to this, what did you think of David Warner as Sydney's theater professor? Pretty good. Uh, I, I, I guess I liked him in that one scene he was in. Uh, he's not much of a major player. I do like that dynamic between them. Uh, I, I feel like they, they had a good bond going, but here's the thing about that scene that I thought was really funny. Uh, no offense, but Sydney makes a terrible Cassandra. I'm just going to say that flat out. I did not like her performance in that one scene. Oh man. All right. Hot take there. I didn't mind it, but here's the thing. Here's but I, way... I've seen college, you know, I've seen college productions. Sure. And so here's the way I, I, I defend it, though. I, I will defend Nev Campbell and saying that she was playing Sydney, playing, playing the part. So maybe she wasn't going to her full potential. But I feel like a lot of that was the set. She sure her delivery was a little uh, for me. All right. Well, here's here is the bit of trivia I'm going to drop on you. OK. Because Wes Craven has been such a huge fan of David Warner since 1976 when he saw him in The Omen, mm-hmm. David Warner auditioned to be Freddy Krueger. Really? Yep. Hmm. That would have been interesting. Oh. You haven't seen Time After Time, have you? No. Where David Warner plays Jack the Ripper. Oh. He when you said is... time after time, I was thinking romantic comedy. No, 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 no. He plays H.G. Wells' best friend who happens to be Jack the Ripper, steals his time machine to go forward in the future. H.G. Wells, played by Malcolm McDowell, goes into the future to hunt him down. And he is, he is a sinister, sinister character in that. I've never seen it, but now I think I've got to. Yep, absolutely. All right, so... um. I would I would think you would say this was shot and edited pretty well. Yeah, yeah, pretty solid, especially for it being done in less than a year. Yeah, and another, I think, a great score by Marco Beltrami. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of the same music 
cues as the first one, and Randy would say that that makes it automatically inferior. But I do. I the, I I honestly, I'm I'm gonna hate myself for saying this, but I kind of like the Sugar Ray song in the end credits. <laughs> I oh, thought it was I thought it was Weezer at first and I looked it up and it was Sugar Ray and I was like, you know, that wasn't that bad. I can't say I hate Sugar Ray, so we'll move on from there. Um, <laughs> would it surprise you to know both Siskel and Ebert loved this movie? No, it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know why, though. What, what, how did they feel on the first scream? How were they hot or cold on that one? Ebert loved the first scream. Siskel mm-hmm. hated it. He loved this one more. That's interesting to me. I can see Ebert. I can see Ebert liking it because he likes Halloween, and they they sing Halloween's praises and scream. But why would you love the the second one and not the first one? That's interesting to me. Siskel mm. thought the writing was better. Ironically. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, buddy. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't like the script of the first one. That's one of the best parodies of horror movies of all time. Um, and and I thought that he would have liked it because he hates the exploitation of women in, in horror movies. And this had a, Scream 1 had a strong female lead and didn't have any female nudity in it for the most part. So I, I'm not I'm really not sure why he didn't like it, but. Yeah, but that's an interesting take. That's the hot take that you're looking for. I, I don't think it's a hot take, but what I said. I think it's more of a hot take what Siskel was saying. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. So what else do you want to talk about with Scream 2? <sighs> okay. Uh, I will say this, all right? I like how this movie ends a lot. My one, one of the flaws I had with Scream 1 was the the final shot. It kind of ends suddenly. Have you ever felt that watching Scream? It kind of ends strangely. There's no big triumphant note. It just kind of fades out on the house. I didn't mind that. For me, it was a little anticlimactic. Okay. I like the ending right. scene. And I mean, I of... understand what you mean by sudden endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always thought an American werewolf in London was too sudden. Of For movie. sure. I feel that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely yeah. with that movie. Okay. I like the way this movie ends. I like how everything ramps up, and it feels very satisfying to me uh, with with Cotton kind of be, Cotton and Sydney kind of sharing that moment. Like maybe maybe you aren't so bad after all. That mutual feeling towards each other, and then that slow zoom out with the music. You know, it's it's pretty good. I think it should have ended there. I haven't even seen Scream three and four yet, but I think it should have ended there because that we saw all the character arcs we needed. We know Dewey survives. I feel like Sydney is more mature at this point. She's accepted where she is in her life. She's had her triumphant moment. She's conquered Ghostface for the last time. She's over it. I really don't know that we needed a sequel to this. I know it probably did buckets at the box office, so that's why yep, they made it. it did. But come on. Let, how about Wes Craven just makes another movie, pour way more movie money into his next movie instead of making another one with him not... Was he attached to Scream 3? I'm pretty sure he didn't direct it. No, he did. He, he directed Scream 3? And Scream 4. Oh my gosh, I'm way more excited about it now. Now I've got Cotton yep. and Craven attached to it. I assume that he was out of there. Nope. Um, okay, well, maybe I, I take it back. This it, awful. Now, I needed another movie. Unfortunately, Kevin Williamson is out. Sure, okay. After this one, pretty much. Um, he did... Kevin Williamson does do a story, you know, stuff, but they do 
bring in the Weinstein's bring in people to rewrite his scripts. Mm-hmm. It'll uh, probably say so, based on characters created by Kevin. Well, uh, he he's given a screenplay credit, but he's his screenplay was basically rewritten. Okay, I see. So what else? Anything else you want to talk about with Scream Two? That's it. <laughs> I think that's it. Scream. Listen, okay. I will. I'll say this before we get to rating and reviewing it. I I think Scream Two lost a little bit of magic from the first movie, um, but I like that most of the same people were attached to it, both in the cast and crew. I really respect that. Whenever people see promise in a in a property and they come back, I think that's a great thing, and that's a good omen of what it'll be like. Um, and again, it came out less than a year after the original. They really rushed through the thing, but it turned out really good, which is very surprising. And I think that should up, even if you if you think that this movie pales in comparison to the original, you as a standalone movie made in less than a year, you have to commend it technically. Um, I the agree. Cam- I, camera I work it, is all good. Yep. What were you I give say? it a kind of I give it kind of a handicap because of what we all talked sure. about the rush and everything. Yeah. For sure. I think a lot of the problems with, um, and, and we already talked about why I didn't think Mickey worked that well, he didn't even know he was a killer. <laughs> and I think, again, a lot of that comes down to Wes and Kevin Williamson didn't have a lot of time to sit down and be like, "Who? how should we build this and talk to our actors? They had to shoot everything. They didn't have enough time. Uh, so I kind of understand its shortcomings, where they're coming from. However, uh, I, I just don't think it's as genius as, as, as um, Scream 1. I feel like it's Halloween compared to Halloween 2. I love Halloween 2 from, from the 80s. But Halloween 1 was mind-blowing for the time. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It was genre-defining. It defined cinema for the next decade. And then Halloween 2 was just another movie like it. You know what I mean? Where it's like more of Halloween. You wanted to see it, and you're glad you got it. You wanted to see more of Laura. You wanted to see more of Michael. And you're glad you got it. And there were really good moments in it. And it was overall a really good product. But did it really add that much to cinema as a whole? Was it as groundbreaking as the first one? I don't think so. Yeah, I I can't argue with that. But I do love it. So what is your rating and recommendation for Scream 2? I'm coming in at a 9. I'm 10. Um, nine out of ten. I'd, I'd say yeah. I'd say eight point five to a nine out of ten. I think it's right, right in the middle there. All right. I do think that I st- I streamed it today. I think it is definitely worth a stream. It is a high priority rental or stream if you haven't seen it already. Um, and I think if you do like the first scream, you'll enjoy this. There's nothing in it that'll turn you off, except maybe Randy dying. If you're really attached to Randy, that might upset you. I know it upset people. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't spoil Star Wars, but I was going to say something that, that would, would basically tie those <laughs> two together. But uh, I think you will definitely enjoy Scream 1 if you like, if, or Scream 2 if you like Scream 1. That said, I don't think that it lives up to the, to the groundbreakingness of the original. So I, 8.5 to a 9 out of 10. I, I, it's a high-priority rental for me. Um, if you like it, buy it. I don't know when I'll watch this again. I, I don't know that it's as rewatchable as Scream 1 because the characters, the, the reveal isn't set up as well as the first one, so there's not as much rewatch value. But yeah, 8.5 to a 9 out of 10. Well, I love it. I give it 9 out of 10. I call it a buy. I have probably seen it 20 times. 
Wow. Uh, oh, you're I like, Casey, it. I've seen that movie 20 bleep times. I, today, when I was watching with the audio commentary, with Wes Craven, the producer and the editor talking over it, I could have told you every line. Um, so, yeah, I call it a buy. So I think it's fantastic. I think it's one of the best horror sequels ever made. Okay, uh, so you think it's up there with Evil Dead 2. And Well, and- no, I wouldn't put it there with Evil Dead 2 or Friday 13th Part 2, but I would still say it's probably in the top 10 sequels. Okay, yeah, I can, well, I mean, there aren't that many. <laughs> there aren't that many like genre defining sequels so yeah i i would say if you're going by just that genre just the the horror genre i would say it's probably top five maybe number five but um yeah i do think it's yeah, a really I good go with that. yeah i go with i that. do think it's top a really five. good sequel but again yeah yeah i agree with you and of course we would both agree the cop car scene classic Absolutely. Yeah, that's the best scene in the movie. Definitely. If you don't want to watch the whole movie, if you don't want to dedicate it's two hours, by the way. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, it this is long. It's two hours, whereas the first one, I think, was a lot tighter. Or was the first one the same length? It, it, was, was, ten, it was 10 minutes shorter. Okay. It, it is It is long. And at the scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar, it definitely felt like it was dragging on a little bit. I was like, okay, well, where are we going with this? And I understand that it was because of her name. But... um. Yeah, I I do think it's a little long, but yeah, it's a good sequel. Absolutely. So we want to thank our Patreons, and you can become one for as little as $2.50 a month. Go to patreon.com, look for Father and Son Watch Horror, and you can get bonus episodes and give input on what movies we cover, and you can be on the show if you so choose. So you can find more from us at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and at fathersonhorror on Twitter. We have a closed Facebook uh, group, where can they find you online, buddy? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero Twelve. That's K A I N E underscore Hero Twelve. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's one word. I have seen so many movies this October. I'm taking Shocktober. I'm taking this October movie uh, viewing experience to the next level. Uh, <laughs> some days I watch four movies in a day, and I know you are watching a lot of movies too and reviewing them on Letterboxd. Oh, so yeah. definitely check you out there. Um, you're seeing a lot of 2020 releases, which I really need to catch up on, but. Yeah, so check me out there. Also, check out the Father and Son Watch Horror Movies uh, YouTube channel for that Bava video I did recently, Mario Bava. If you love Italian cinema, first of all, check out our Argento tribute series and our Fulci tribute series. But if you want to hear me talk about Mario Bava, check out that YouTube video. Um, So there's always that for you. Absolutely. And I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd as Pastor Matt R. I am trying to in between study breaks because I'm doing a PhD, but in between study breaks, trying to watch as many 2020 horror movies as I can. Just finished up watching horror movies from 2001, 2002, moving on to 2003. Just rewatched House of a Thousand Corpses yesterday. Um, So you can look at all that stuff there. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. We would appreciate it. Join us next time for Scream 3. Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember to never, under any circumstances ever, interact with Nev Campbell in any way, shape, or form. You're gonna die. (laughs) All righty, folks. Remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. Happy Halloween season.